Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11. Ephesians 2. Give you time to find it, those who are finding it. Ephesians chapter 2. It's, uh, if you're looking in the church Bible, it's 1000, page 1143. Okay, so Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, this Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself, in Christ, one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. This morning I want to return to one of the great themes of the letter to the Ephesians. We're going through Ephesians. We're going to have a break now before uh, sort of during August from that. But I wanted to sort of to sum up what we've been looking at with one particular picture that Paul gives in this letter. There are various um, pictures that Paul gives. He gives the picture of the, the church as the body, the body of Christ, and he gives, of which we're all members, those who know the Lord Jesus as Saviour, we're all members together. In that body, he gives the picture of the church as being the temple, being built up. And as uh, the Apostle Peter says, we're living stones in that temple. But I want to focus this morning on the church as the family of God. The verse I want to focus on is verse 19. If you want to put that up, Ashley. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, as I've been preparing this, 
have to be, I have to say, I've, I've really tried to work it into sort of nice points, sort of headings as you do in a sermon, three or four points or whatever, but it's defied my efforts this morning. So it's going to be a bit of a meditation, if you like, um, sharing my thoughts on the family of God, the church as the family of God. That uh, verse there at the end, it talks about we are members of the household of God. The word household there in the, <clears throat> in the Greek literally means those living in the same house, under the same roof, if you like. It's another way of referring to the family. Wherever household is used in the New Testament, it invariably refers to the extended family. People live it so, and so for example, we, we read um, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, that Paul baptized the household of Stephanus. So it, it was his whole, whole household. It would have been his children, probably his servants, whoever, if whatever was the extended family living under that house. Um, in Acts 10, we read that Cornelius was a devout man and one who feared God with his household. So it refers to the extended family and so in Christ we are no longer strangers no longer foreigners but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family of God which means that we are members of this great extended family right across the world of true born-again believers, those who've come into the family of the church of God, and all down the centuries. We are members of that great family. Paul talks about it as being the whole family in heaven and on earth, Ephesians 3.15. And we're each members of the household of God. We're not guests in the family. We're family members. That's the thought. We're family members of this amazing family. In fact, in Hebrews... Chapter 2, verse 11. I'll read it in the... Yeah, I'll read it in the NIV. Hebrews 2, verse 11, which says this. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So, Jesus... Our saviour, our king, we have become his brother or his sister. That's what the Bible tells us. And he's our creator. We're his brothers or our sisters. And so, in this family of the church, everything that would divide us has been overcome in Christ. Been broken down. And uh, if you've been following this series with us, uh, earlier on in chapter 2, you'll remember that we looked at how God has broken down these great things that divide the natural world, people from each other. You know, Paul lived in a deeply divided world. Jews looked down on Gentiles. And they, they almost treated them with disdain and, and vice versa as well. You know, Jews were absolutely poles apart from the Gentiles. And, and the divide was bigger than our divide today. You know, we have down the years in, in Northern Ireland, Protestant and Catholic, there's been uh, 
Jew and Arab, Sunni and Shiite, whatever the barriers or the divisions are, that was true, if not more so, in Paul's day. It, but it wasn't just Jews who had alienated from the Gentiles. The Greeks looked down on the non-Greeks. They called them barbarians. And it was, it was after the... To them, it sounded like people... The Gentiles, sorry, the non-Greeks were speaking, it's at when, the, when the Greeks heard that, it sounded like ba 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 ba. So they call them barbarians, it just gobbledygook. And it was a, it was a, a phrase of, 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 again, disdain. Almost like an insult. But what Paul shows is that we are not only in the family of God reconciled to God, we're reconciled to each other. Because God has broken down those barriers, whether Jew or Gentile or between Greek or barbarian, so that in Christ we are now one, one body. There are no divisions in his church in terms of class or groups of people. You know, there aren't divisions based on social issues or religious or spiritual issues. There is no division in the body of Christ. <clears throat> What is it that divides people? Basically, it's sin. Sin divides. Divides not only from God, but from each other. There's a deep sinfulness, isn't there? A selfishness, deep pride in people that causes this. Two young brothers were arguing about who would get the first pancake. So their mother said to him, Now boys, if Jesus were sitting here, He'd say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And immediately one lad said to the other, you be Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's sin that ultimately separates on a personal level and on a national level. You know, all divisions can be tra traced to that root of sin. Family breakdowns. You know, divorce. Disputes, violence, neighbour disputes. Our world, it's why our world right now is a desperately sad place to be in. Depending on where you live. Right across the world, you, there's conflict, isn't there? After conflict in, in Syria and Yemen and Sudan and Israel and Middle East, all of that, Iraq, Libya, so many places where there's conflict. And you think of what causes that? What causes the conflict? And it, it can be endless, can't it? It might be nationalistic pride. It might be cultural differences. It can be tribal differences, ethnic differences, racial differences. And then there's all sorts of other things at perhaps a, a smaller level that separates people. Educational chain differences, social differences, the haves and the have-nots and that sort of thing. And of course we've mentioned at the personal level there's Human frailty, weakness, pride, selfishness. All of these things lead to division. So the question is, can there ever be lasting peace between people? Can there be real lasting peace and harmony and unity between people? And the answer is a resounding yes in the cross of Christ. Because on that cross, Jesus dealt 
with the sin and the sin depth of sin that divides people. So God's plan of salvation for you and me wasn't just that we would be reconciled to God, but reconciled to each other. So it involves bringing in the church, coming into the church, and being part of the church of God involves being part of a church where individuals are reconciled to each other. Whatever our race or our culture or our background or even our, our, our class or education, whatever it is, or even age, we're brought together in Christ. And the wonderful thing is, and there's, the, the, there's some marvelous testimonies that I've heard, you may have heard them as well, where actually hostile enemies who were once implacably opposed to each other, they've become Christians and they've been reconciled. There's been forgiveness. And in this uh, wonderful picture of Ephesians, in this picture of the church as a united family, we, we grasp something of the amazing wonder of the church. And we, we get hold of the, the passion that God has for his church. And not only for his church worldwide, but for every church, every, wherever Believers meet together, the local church, large or small. God wants us to grasp how he loves his church. And he wants us to get hold of that with our hearts, not just with our heads. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to be part of the body, the family of God. You know, and I thank God. I thank God for this church, for our church. What a privilege it is to be part of a church where there are people from all different backgrounds. And all different nationalities, we've had people from all different parts of the world coming and some visiting and some settling with us and being part of this church. And people from all different experiences of life. It's, it, it is a privilege to be part of that church, this church. And I was thinking, you know, it's so easy to get used to good things that you forget the good thing, how great it is. We get used to things, don't we? we you know, we, we sort of take it for granted almost. But we should never take it for granted. Let me tell you the story of the bat who returned to the bat cave one day, mouth dripping with blood. Suddenly, all the other bats were excited. They said, what have you found? What have you found? And he said, oh, nothing, nothing. The bat said nothing. No, what have you found? What have you found? He said, no, I, I, I just went to sleep. I just, nothing, just nothing. Oh, go on, tell us. Hundreds and hundreds of bats there. Go ahead, show us what you found. And reluctantly, he gave in. He said, okay. He said, okay, go out of the cave. Down the hill. Now, can you picture the forest on your right? And they said, yes, we can see it, we can see it. He said, well, turn left to the forest there and go down the valley. There's a lake. Can you see the lake? They said, yeah, yeah, we can see the lake. And you see the big rock on the side of the lake? Yeah, yeah, they said. And you see the tree next to the rock? Yeah, yeah, they said, we see it. Well, I didn't. <laughs> so easy, isn't it, to be blinding, blinded by the obvious. Not to see the miracle of God in the church. Friends, there is no power on earth 
that could bring people of such different values and cultures and backgrounds and for there to be real unity. Oh, you know, there's gatherings and there's different religious beliefs that gather people together. But for there to be real unity, the Holy Spirit has to deal with the inner person. And that's why the church is unique. It's made up of people in whose hearts the Holy Spirit (coughs) has transformed and is transforming those things which separate and divide. Richard Kirking in his uh, commentary on the Ephesians says this, Your local church is a gathering of a new humanity, the temple of the living God, the only local building that will last forever and a wonder in the heavenly realms, enjoy it. Do you you remember Derek Burnside? Some of you will remember. He was here at Keswick, Bradford Keswick, spoke. And uh, Bradford Keswick, in in May, this is a few months back. On, I think it was, well, it was the Tuesday evening of Bradford Keswick. He told a story about what was called the Sunday Assembly. And... uh, my mind went to that when I was preparing this. I went on, the, uh, on our website and listened to it again, just to refresh myself. So for those of you who weren't there, let me sort of repeat it. The Sunday Assembly was started by stand-up comedian Sanderson Jones. And the Sunday Assembly is the equivalent of the atheist church. So, the stand-up comedian, Sanderson Jones, he started the Sunday Assembly in London. And as an atheist, he was tired of atheists being so negative and down and always being so critical about those who had faith. And, And what he wanted to do was work out how you can actually enjoy life together as atheists rather than just have a go at Christians. And so he started what he called the Sunday Assembly. And he unashamedly modelled it on church. And the idea was to do something that was like church, but totally secular. Sort of inclusive of everyone, no matter what they believed. And, And what he said was this, Christians have this great thing where every Sunday they get together. So they, so why can't atheists do that? So we'll call it the Sunday assembly. And every Sunday we'll gather together And we'll do it just like the church. We'll sing. We'll have a sermon. We'll have a collection. And we'll have testimony. And we'll do all the things that Christians normally do. We just won't have God in it. And apparently these are now running. And there's lots of them um, in this country. And I think across the world, in parts of the world as well. The one running in London gets big crowds. Lots of people go to it. I went on their website and... uh, Uh, They set out their charter, and the first three points of the charter says this, the Sunday Assembly, one, is 100% celebration of life. We are born from nothing and go to nothing. Let's enjoy it together. Two, has no doctrine. We have no set texts, so we can make use of wisdom from all sources. Three, has no deity. We don't do supernatural but we also won't tell you you're wrong if you do. And there are 10 points altogether. That's the sort of thing. 
And Derek Burnside, he, he uh, was invited by his friend to go to the opening of one of these Sunday assemblies in Exeter. I think his friend basically said, well, you've invited me to your church, let me invite you to my church. And so he went along to the very first one. And Derek Burnside says this, this, this was set out just like church, in a small hall with a platform and a keyboard and a screen. Said so there was a little semicircle of chairs, about 20 chairs or so. And it was modelled on church, so they sang. They sang Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. They sang Get Lucky by Daft Punk. That was another, there was another song. And then somebody shared their experiences of uh, going on holiday. Just some of the things that they'd learned. And then there was this sermon by Sanderson Jones, the stand-up comedian. He travelled up to, from London to, to launch this. And, and Derek Burnside, he said it was a great talk, really good talk. And this uh, new group, they met in Exeter uh, once a month, but they could only sustain it for three meetings. It was hard work. You know, they had to sort out the room, they had to get everything set up, they had to get the tea and coffee, they had to uh, plan the services, someone had to lead the services, and somebody had to pay for it all, and uh, the collection didn't match with the expenses, and uh, after three it finished. But on the Facebook page of this Exeter Sunday Assembly, the person who started the event, he wrote this. I've always been a bit jealous of religious types. Every Sunday they get to hang out with nice people and eat excellent biscuits and have a sing-song. And sometimes I went along myself. But being an atheist, there seemed to be something I wasn't getting. An extra step I couldn't take. I loved it. I loved the people, the music, the place. I came out every week feeling ready for anything. But I couldn't bear that nagging sensation of being a faker. So I had what seemed an impossible idea in my head. How do you get the same feeling of community, that same excitement and purpose, without that little supernatural extra? And this is what his co-founder Tom wrote. I'm a big believer that we all have within us an innate desire to connect with other people to be part of a community, to laugh, to help, to wonder. I have a lot of Christian friends who, to be fair, get to experience that through the stuff they do with their church. So hey, let's make that same thing possible for those who don't, nece for those who don't necessarily want to have the rest of the churchy stuff that goes with it. So they tried, but it failed. Derek Burnside's comment was, he said, the encouraging thing is that these non-Christians had looked at church and thought, that's a good idea. We want some of that. And they discovered they couldn't have it without God. And one of the things that Sanderson Jones said in his sermon was, there are big ups and downs in running one of these. Be prepared for disappointment. And in that Sunday assembly, and it was a huge assembly, a huge meeting, and still is, as far as I know, they actually got a BBC producer on board as a volunteer to produce their services. And, you know, they were doing really well. And after six months, this young lady came to Sanderson Jones and said to him that she was going to leave the team. And he said to her, well, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. Why are you leaving? And she said, well, 
Being part of this has just reignited my desire to seek God. You see, what they don't have as a community is what we do have. We're not just part of the family of a family. We're part of the family of God. You know, this church, as every true church, is made up of the family. Now, there will be those, and praise God for those who come, and, and uh, you may not, you, you might feel a bit like that, you know, you're sort of on the outside looking in. That's great to have you. We're blessed to have you. But the church is made up more or less of those who've actually experienced what Christ has done in their life. And you know, it's the Holy Spirit who holds us together. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to become what he wants us to become. And so the church is made up of people into whose lives the love of Christ has been poured. And that causes those in the church to love each other with an unselfish love. And to be concerned for the poor and the vulnerable and the visitor and the, and the people stranger and those who are in need. And the church is made up of people who have been forgiven by God of all their sins. Which causes them to forgive others as Christ forgave them. And it's made up of people who know that God has saved them when they were lost and didn't deserve it. So they have a passion for others to become part of their church family as well. So they can enjoy what they've enjoyed, what they're enjoying. And, and that's just the start. That's the difference that the real church has, makes to those who come. Now, there are problems in church. I'm not, you know, I'm not sugarcoating that. There's, there's always problems in every church. There always will be. The, the church isn't the finished article. But we shouldn't magnify the problems and forget the miracle and the joy and the wonder of being part of the family of God. And you know, when you see what God has done and of what, it, what it means to be part of his family, and what a privilege it is, then we will do all we can to overcome anything that would break our fellowship. And anything that would divide us. So how can we ensure that here in church, in Sunbridge? How can we ensure that we are a genuine church family? Where these uh, lovely characteristics of being the family of God are in evidence and growing and increasing where every dividing barrier is broken, where everything that separates has been overcome. How can we ensure that? What are the ways? I've, I've put up a banner here. We, we've had this um, produced so that we can, if you can't see it, it's not meant for a big hall. It's meant for a smaller place where we, for example, when we're in the community, we have community events. And uh, so we've had this done, it says Sunbridge Road Mission, a church where all are welcome. And then it's the website, a church where all are welcome. Wow, that's a lot to live up to, isn't it? A church where all are welcome. And uh, just on the, perhaps the more practical side, we, we, we're a church that, as, as every church will be, or most churches, where we have people from all backgrounds, we've said, coming in. We have new people coming and visitors coming, which we want them to come, feel welcome. 
in recent years, we've had people coming from Real Hope, and some have settled with us. Praise God for that. We've got many from other countries coming. We've got people who are, have been asylum seekers and refugees. We've had international students, and uh, some coming to church for the first time because they don't have that opportunity in their home country. They just want to see what it's like. With people, and we're praying for people from Muslim backgrounds to be saved and join the church. And from other religious backgrounds too, or for non-background at all, no, no faith background. What can we do better to express this amazing fact that we are a family of God? And every barrier has been broken down. So that whoever comes to church feels that they're coming into a family where they're welcomed and embraced and feel at home and not ignored and excluded. Well, this is where it gets even more practical. And uh, some while back, I think it was about two months, I, asked, I, I gave the invitation to, to fill in something, um, suggestions of what we, what we could do sort of in that realm of making as more of a, a welcoming church, a united church. And some, some gave uh, things and, uh, which were really helpful. And I've incorporated some of those and I've added my own thoughts to what I'm going to say now. Let me give you some practical suggestions. Things to do. They're not big things. Small, they're actually small things. You know, they're, they're what, we call, what you might call a 1% change. You don't need to have big things to make an effect. Just a... In fact, a small thing sustained is better than a big thing that just sort of evaporates after a while. So these are just, if you like, 1% changes that we could make. First of all, I want to encourage you all to look out for newcomers in the church. To be the one to say hello. Just a friendly smile. I'd say I'd encourage you to make it a weekly aim just to talk to somebody that you don't normally talk to. Part of the fellowship. Another simple thing, but I think a very important thing, is, is make the most of our family events. Our, when I say family, I mean church family. Our church family opportunities that we have. And I want to encourage and ask you to be part of them. You know, those times when we get together and relax together. There's one coming up soon. Is it? When is it? Is it next week? A few weeks' time at Burnsell? Family event? Now, for some, it'd be, oh, you know, it just, it's not, not my scene, really. But actually, it's an opportunity just to spend time together, do stuff together as the church family. Bring friends to. That'd be amazing. That'd be wonderful. How about coming to the church work day on Saturday? Be part of the church family. You know, this is our, it's our building. We enjoy it. We, we benefit from it. It needs a spring clean. Come on Saturday. Be part of it. There's fellowship doing things together. Be part of the church family. We have church lunch once a month. Great opportunity to meet together. Don't just say, you know, it's, well, it's, I'm, I'm a bit of a private person. It's not my sort of thing. You know, I've got other things. Really seriously think about coming and, and developing new friendships, talking to other people. A lovely opportunity to do that. Something I'd like us to start doing once a month, this is a bit revolutionary, so brace yourself. 
this is going to be once a month. And once a month, on your seat, you're going to be finding a label. And you'll be invited to write your name on that label. And put it on your, wherever you want to put it. Okay? Just put a name. Just, you know, it is hard, isn't it? Get to know people. We, I mean, okay, people are on holiday. For, say our congregation, about 120 to 150, with all the children in and things like that. It's hard to get to know. But I struggle with names. So I'm sure you'll struggle getting to know more than probably 30 people in that congregation. Now, that's one part of that once a month thing, but here's the, now, are you sitting comfortably? I'd like once a month to ask you to sit in a different seat. <gasps> I know, that is radical. <laughs> Call me revolutionary, I know. And... You know what I'm going to, well I think, I, I, I was thinking, what, what original name could I call this once a month Sunday? So I'm going to call it, sit in a different seat Sunday, all right? <laughs> and, unless somebody can come up with a better idea. Now I'd prefer it if we all did that without some kicking and stream, screaming and saying, but I pay good money to sit in my seat, and this is my seat, and I've got my initials carved on the chair, and that sort of thing. It would be nice if you didn't do that but get into the spirit of it. And see the reasons behind it. It'll help us to meet different people in the church and to actually worship alongside different people, which is nice, isn't it, with fellowship? Once a month, it'll remind us we're not just here for ourselves. We're here for others. Yeah? That's what church is. We're here for others. As a family, we need to get to know each other better. It might help us to better appreciate in a small way how a stranger might feel or how a visitor might feel or people on their own might feel coming into a church like ours and wondering, well, where do I sit? I don't want to sit, I'm, I don't want to sit in somebody's seat. And it might give us a little bit of empathy for that, of thinking of how people feel. And it will be a reminder to us each that we've all got a part to play as being part of the family. So that needs to be sustained, so we're going to do it once a month. We'll do it on the last Sunday of the month, up until the end of the year, which will be five Sundays, but we're going to have an extra one next Sunday. While, strike while the iron's hot, we're going to do it next Sunday as a trial run. Okay? And what I'll, what I'll do is I'm going to put that up each Sunday as a reminder in the lounge, all right, just out, okay, and there'll probably be a little notice inviting us to, right, it's sitting in a different seat Sunday or whatever we call it, seat all right, say again, seat swap Sunday, seat swap Sunday, any, any advance on sweets, it's hard to say that, <laughs> sweet shop Sunday, no, seat swap Sunday, really good, yeah, write it down, I'll, I'll forget it, okay, <laughs> So on Sweet Shop Sunday, we're going <laughs> to, we'll, we'll, we'll put that up, okay? So we'll do it next week, and we'll have, the t we'll have those labels. And we'll do, it, we'll do it this right through until the end of the year, and we're going to see the difference it makes. So 
Can you enter into, I hope you're up for that and enter into the spirit of that. And I don't just mean sit in the next seat to you, right? <laughs> sit in a different part of church, right? So sit at the front, sit at the back, sit in the middle. Just let's mix it. Can I say another, how are we doing? Yeah, just I've got another thing as well. I'm on a roll, okay, so. Hospitality. Let me just read 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to repeat, not repeat as I've all done, done all of this, but next week, because quite a few are aware, I'm going to sort of remind folks what it's about. But 1 Peter chapter 4. Let me read verse 8 and 9. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable. Peter's describing something here that all Christians should. Some people think, well, some have got the gift of hospitality. I don't. Actually, this is an all-Christian gift. We're encouraged, all of us, to show hospitality. So it's an every Christian gift and calling. Hospitality starts at home. This is your spiritual home. Let's be hospitable. Let's welcome, as you would welcome friends into your, into your own home, let's look out for visitors, friends, people, or, sorry, people who you know, aren't used to church maybe or just strangers or whatever. Let's, let's be on the lookout. Let's be hospitable, caring. But it needs to be extended beyond our home, I think. And, you know, fellowship needs to be deepened beyond these four walls. So here's another, I'm going to say a revolutionary thing. It's not really, but uh, I'm going to suggest it anyway. When we have the, what was it? Seat Swap Sunday. When we have that, whatever it's called. Let's make that Sunday and the week that follows, if you like, a hospitality week in which we either invite someone for a meal or we go out for a snack or we meet elsewhere for a coffee with somebody that we don't normally do. I think that would be great if we could do it. That's a big thing, I know. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm not, it's just not my, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a quiet person, a bit shy. I tell you what, I... You know, on an extrovert, introvert scale, there's the extrovert, there's the introvert. Extrovert is somebody who absolutely loves people, gets invigorated with people, is, is outgoing and that. Introvert is the exact opposite. They need space, they need time, they need quiet to recharge the batteries and things. I'm over here, okay? I'm over here. I'm, I'm an introvert by nature, that's my temperament. I'm also a, shy, a, a private person, naturally. Stick me on a... a, a if you stick me on a, a desert island for a month, I'd be happy, right? Don't, but I would. <laughs> okay, I'd be okay, you know. So actually, I, I, I understand if you're feeling, oh, that's not me and I don't feel, that actually is my temperament by nature. But I, there are some things we could all do. Just a, even if it's just arranging with somebody, like, should we meet for a coffee? And why not meet with an older person or a younger person or somebody we wouldn't normally talk to in, in, or in the normal um, course of events. So we're going to do that as well. And there's nothing, this is all voluntary. 
except they sit in the different seats or but no it's, it's voluntary so nobody's going to check up on you or anything like that but what let's i want to encourage you to take the opportunity to do these things and try and make the effort so that we grow as a family and we actually become more of a welcoming church there's a lot that's good that god has already done praise god for all that he's doing but i'm sure there's more that we could do in this so i hope that you're up for that this is something we can all be part of and but we will have to put the effort in we will have to do something and make it work you know just to finish with let me mention about the foundation of the salvation army william booth one one year he was unable to attend his the salvation army annual conference he was the commander and uh, chief as it were but because of ill health he decided to send a message and he sent his important message by cable to all of the delegates at that conference and it was one word others and that's what it's about that's the spirit of christ he came not to serve not to be served but to serve so others give himself he came as the humble king willing to wash the feet of the weary embrace the ones in need what a beautiful spirit that is a lovely attitude may god help you and me to put that into practice in church i'm going to invite the band up we're going to sing that song to finish with it's a song you are the humble king do you want to put the words up ashley it says oh kneel me down again here at your feet show me how much you love humility O oh, Spirit, be the star that leads me to the humble heart of love I see in you. And the next one. Have you got the next verse up? The chorus. Yeah. You are the God of the broken, the friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary. Embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are the God of the humble. You are the humble King. So we're praying. Let's pray that this will be our spirit, our, the spirit of Christ, and put into practice in, uh, as best we can. Well, let's stand to sing. So our Father, we thank you for reconciling us to yourself through Jesus that we might be part of the family of God thank you Lord for that great privilege we pray Lord that you help us to practice this this oneness that we have in humility considering others better than ourselves loving as Jesus loved serving as Jesus served Holy Spirit bring that spirit of Christ in more and more into our lives and lived out through us we pray and we will thank you that as we play our part you'll be faithful you'll help us in this and thank you for this church lord i thank you for its love and care and thank you for the welcome that we do give but lord help us to improve help us to grow and increase and may our love be increased we pray and lord if there are any here this morning 
who are not part of the family of God in that they haven't come to Christ as their saviour yet, we would pray that they would have this morning a desire to find that reconciliation with God. That they would desire to come through trusting in Jesus to a knowledge of God as saviour and Lord. Help them this morning to do that. Lead them to Christ. Lead them to the cross, we pray. And so, Father, we thank you. Thank you for our time. Thank you for being able to meet like this freely and to be able to worship you, our God. And Lord, we pray, part us now with your blessing. Help us to live for you as we go out to worship you through our lives and through our way that we live and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.